0: So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Gareth McComsky. Gareth, you want to say hi?
1: Hi, everybody. How you doing?
0: Doing all right. I don't think I said that in quite the uh, proper accent. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm all the way from South Africa in Cape Town, so yeah,
1: I'll sound a little different. Yeah,
0: there you go. It's it's funny because just a side note, um, I have a na- neighbor named Gareth, and it's not a very common name here. Mm. But his parents are from South Africa, and I was like, oh, maybe it's a more common name down there. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I have
1: seen it around here quite a bit. Um, it's actually supposed to be Welsh, and I think there's a lot of uh, moms who had kids around the time that she had that my mom had me and Gareth was a very popular Welsh rugby player. So Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's probably it.
0: Gotcha. Hot rub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think he's a couple years past thirty. So that's probably about the same time frame. I don't know how old you are. But Yeah. In in my thirties, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah he's <laughs> in his early thirties. I'm in my late thirties, so yeah, I'm an old dude. Anyway, you are on episode 291 of JavaScript Jabber talking about serverless. Yep, And um, that's still a hot topic. We should probably revisit that since it's been about a year.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting. Uh, a lot of uh, things have been uh, sort of growing in that space, so there's quite a bit more to talk about now. Things have changed quite a bit as well. Right. A lot of the organizations are just uh, taking it up and sort of expanding on it as much as they can.
0: Yeah, makes sense. And and it's it's interesting because yeah, you, you basically avoid some of the infrastructure concerns that way and we, we had a long talk about it, and people should just go listen to the episode. But yeah, it's definitely still here. Well, one of the funny things is that uh,
1: I'm a back-end developer uh, primarily, but I'm a back-end developer that doesn't like dealing with servers. I actually get terrified <laughs> when I have to get onto a command line and set up a web server or anything like that. So I'm pretty happy just to say, you guys take over it, and I'll just use what you produce and, and build
0: the things I need on top of it. I'm happy with that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm the other way around because I started as a, an ops guy. And uh, I I think that's actually hurt me some because I'd be better off spending my time making content instead of futzing around with some stupid server that's not doing what it's supposed to do. But sometimes it's a little fun to go poking around and just seeing how things work if you poke it a certain way. Yeah, Yeah. definitely uh, interesting stuff. Anyway, we're here to talk about you and Mm -hmm. your journey into code. And so I'm just going to get that rolling and ask you how you got into programming. Well, for me, it's, I mean, it can, you can imagine growing up in South Africa,
1: it's a little bit different to maybe the U.S. and other first world countries. But, you know, i growing up as well as a kid in the end, near the end of apartheid. And I actually distinctly remember the first time I got into uh, any kind of coding was when my father got his first computer in his office. That's how long ago this was, uh, oh, wow. back before computers were commonplace in an office space. He would actually. We we lived on a on a small private uh, mining town uh, township essentially. Mm-hmm. So, there, it was private property. So he let me drive his car at about you know eleven years old all the way to his office space, which was about a kilometer away. Go uh, This was on a Friday afternoon, so he knew I was really interested in computers. Let me go drive his car to his office space, pack his his computer in his office into the car, drive it all the way home play around with it all weekend long. And then uh, Sunday evening, I'd have to make sure it was put back so that Monday morning, you could carry on working.
0: <laughs> and that was,
1: <laughs> that was my first uh, experience with really getting into computers, you know, discovering a programming language called BASIC on the machine at the time and wondering, what the hell is this? Yep. And then playing around with that, not really knowing, finding it, and this was also before the internet. So there was no way I could quickly just, you know, go to Google and find out what is BASIC. There was a small little help file on the machine itself, which kind of gets you started. How did write print and, you know, the idea of what a variable is very basically. Yep. But what was so cool about this, I mean, when I talked to him about it and you know, I showed him what I was playing around with, he ended up uh, finding one of the engineers on the mine, one of these more scientifically minded uh, mm-hmm. guys on the mine. And this guy happened to have a book on writing code for scientific purposes with BASIC and gave my dad the book and said, maybe he'll find this useful. it's one of those moments where you get this treasure of knowledge and you pour over it for a a good couple of weeks, going through every little page, not realizing that the stuff it's showing you is so outdated, but it still happens to work in this basic that you've got running on a computer. Uh Yeah, so that was my very, very, very early stages. But it, it essentially, it just, it just grew from there, you know, progressing eventually to neighbors who had a had a computer that I'd go mess around on as well, learning how to code with Visual Basic. So you could say that my coding career started, making, started with making desktop apps. But Visual Basic is one of those, in that age, was a cool tool so that you could throw some things together, get something really nicely visual laid out, and then go in and just add little tiny pieces of code to sort of elements in an app. Which is pretty eye-opening, as you know, where this can eventually take you.
0: So, I'm curious, how, how did you uh, progress from, you know, building these basic apps into building JavaScript apps? Sure, even that's a bit of a story. So,
1: I ended up eventually around 15, 16 years old, writing these sort of desktop apps, and my my father, having you know, working with you know, with the mining companies, needed some software built, which I did for him. And eventually was able to help me sell it to other people. So I was actually ended up selling a small little software product, which was kind of eye-opening as well. So then I realized that there was this, this commercial potential to make this a job for the rest of my life, which I thought was incredible. Right. But I ended up going to university and studying geology, Funny enough. And at the same time, I was trying to run my own sort of little IT business on the side, but I knew nothing. I was clueless as to how all this kind of the computer stuff worked, really. I knew a bit about hardware, how to build a few PCs, how to connect to the internet. Because at that stage, we were just getting AD, uh, DSL lines in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And then I started building, I started getting exposed to HTML and CSS at uh, university, which led me to discovering how to make things for the web. Right. And the cool thing there is that I started trying to sell my abilities to create websites. Because, you know, that uh, what's that uh, phrase where you where you start getting a little bit of knowledge and you think you know everything and you get to the top of the hill and you think there's nothing else you could possibly learn. I was at that point then. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't, hit, hadn't yet hit the trough where you come all the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, that's what it's called. Right. And yet, gone down the other side where you suddenly realize, oops, I actually don't know much at all. <laughs> <laughs> so there I am trying to, trying to sell people uh, website solutions by building huge static sites that have to manually go update because all I knew was HTML and CSS until somebody you know pointed out things like PHP and JavaScript and yep. all of these things and then one of those moments again when your mind gets blown and then eventually you get to the point where I realized that I might need to start working with having a proper job the, the little business that I had on the side wasn't really cut out to support yourself you know you're still living with with mom and dad right not exactly the best situation so I ended up working for a great company doing primarily PHP things uh, but this is also back in the day where JavaScript was a bit of a beast to really use in a massively productive way. Uh, we're talking two thousand and six, two thousand and five. Yep. So the browser browser wars were still a hot and and going, and Internet Explorer was doing things one way, and Firefox was doing things another way, and Chrome was kind of just starting to make its way onto the market. So JavaScript yeah, was one of those redheaded, me. yeah, the red-headed stepchild that you kind of used when you absolutely had to, but you tried to avoid if you if you could. And prototype was the framework de jour. Oh, yeah. And Scriptaculous uh, was amazing.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. Scriptaculous took those, uh, made things that were so scary seem so easy, but things still <laughs> broke. Yeah. The good old days.
0: Yeah. That's so that about point, when I got in professionally. So mm, I, I identify with a lot of this. Yeah. And it was actually, that stage while
1: well, jQuery was just coming out. So that was, that was miraculous. That was, that was like a godsend if you had to do anything in
0: JavaScript at the time. Oh, yeah. Um, jQuery was so awesome. <laughs> I know people look uh, at you and go, you're still using jQuery? Yeah, it's funny, actually. jQuery has
1: lived out so long, even, even today. I mean, today I've been working on, on building an app that runs on jQuery and, you know, you kind of, you crave to move off to the views or the reacts that you get used to, but you look at jQuery and you realize that it's still actually quite powerful for what it does. It's just, it's unfortunate that it's like, it's taken uh, what it was designed for to sort of normalize browsers for JavaScript developers. It doesn't really need to do that anymore. You right. can pretty much do most of jQuery stuff just natively now. So it gets kind of lost its luster that way. But it mm-hmm. still has some neat, neat tricks here and there that you can you can use. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I will admit so, that I have started a website within the last year where I pulled jQuery <laughs> yeah. in because it was easy. Yeah. That is sometimes. Sometimes you just need that. Sometimes you don't need the full,
1: you know, uh, managing a model, managing state. Sometimes you don't need that. Sometimes you just need something that can submit some AJAX, load a page, make a loading spinner, and that's really all you need. And yep. JQuery is pretty good at that. But I mean, at that stage, I was also, I was a bit anti-JavaScript, just because of the difficulties I've always been through. Oh, we all
0: went through um, that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's a different world now. But
1: yeah, we all went through that. But it actually took me until, I'm trying to think back now, 2015, 2016, before I really sort of picked up JavaScript again in, in any real way. Because I happened to move across country in South Africa to a city called Cape Town from Johannesburg, mm-hmm. and that was because my daughter, we were, we were expecting our first child, and we decided that's the place in, in South Africa that we wanted to be and bring our daughter up in. So, kind of one of those life changing moves. And the company I went to there ended up I ended up taking over work from one of their developers, and he built this this, this really impressive widgeting system for embedding forms into sites using our.
0: Yeah, Bower, yeah. Yeah,
1: Bower, it was a Bower, yeah, there we go. Because we we use Webpack now and NPM and things, Bower has kind of fallen to the wayside. But that was when I was really introduced to sort of the power that JavaScript can have outside of just client-side on a browser. And it was one of those things that opened my eyes uh, quite a lot to the power that, you know, JavaScript now has to the point where now I'm almost, almost permanently writing apps in using Node with serverless. Oh, cool. And that's where we ended up with our conversation when I when I you know uh, met the panel and we were discussing serverless and so on. Primarily because of AWS's Lambda, um, you know, running Node six and eight now, mm-hmm. so building a lot of my, my backend code has switched away from PHP to primarily Node now on
0: on Lambda, which is been pretty really oh, cool. fun. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting to see what the capabilities are, and if you're just farming out to APIs, I found that yeah, Node on Lambda or Azure Functions or something like that, mm-hmm. it's super easy. Yeah, the, the great thing is with all these uh, managed services you've got out there now, I mean, even today,
1: uh, well, over the weekend, I have to say, um, I started getting into AWS's Cognito, which is, I mean, I think Firebase does a similar thing as well. I haven't, just, I haven't really looked at it in detail, but a way just to prov- to have a user management and authentication system that you just say, please create me a pool of users. Okay, uh-huh. thank you. Please give me an ID for this. Okay, thank you. I'd like. Now you can, you know, now you can just go and add a user. It'll automatically send that user emails to verify authorizations happen automatically. It's pretty incredible. I used to try and sort of roll my own to a degree, uh-huh. uh, because I always thought that my needs were unique until I played with Cognito, and it's <laughs> like, no, 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 this, this is a solved problem. You know? <laughs> you don't need to do this for the seventeenth time. Just use the tools that are out there. It's, it's pretty impressive and that's just one of the small things that happen i mean you can go now uh, i've been doing demos at some of the some of the meetups around here where
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know you talk you try to mention serverless technology and you want to do a demo and you tell people i'm going to have a fully crud like api uh, restful api running in the space of half an hour and people don't believe it until you you know spin up an entire you know uh, setup with api gateway a few lambdas on the back end, storing right. content in DynamoDB, and it takes you less than half an hour. It's pretty impressive. All the JavaScript.
0: You talk about, oh, well, my, my problems are unique, and I'll admit I've fallen into that trap plenty. But, you know, moving more toward the business end, I want something that I can solve quickly, reliably, and you, you get the picture, right? There are probably a few other priorities I'm leaving off there, but yeah. So, you know, your, your solution sounds wonderful from the business standpoint, right? mm mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't get the joy of futzing around with, you know, Node or Express or Rails or whatever it is, you know, which is kind of part of the fun for me. But at the same time, you know, it it gets it up fast and I get my problem solved.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest, the biggest selling point that I had. When I was working at a company called Expat Explorer, it was the first time I got the opportunity to try the serverless stuff. And I mentioned it in the previous show as well. But they, I mean, the, the, the easy sell was to say to them, you know, you, we're taking your very fragile WordPress system that keeps us uh, awake on weekends. And we're going to rewrite it with the serverless technology because Amazon has done all the hard work for us. There's mm-hmm. no server that we have to maintain. We don't have to upgrade the the Apache server. We don't have to maintain the WordPress updates. We don't have to worry about that plugin that we installed last week that's not written quite well. That might have a couple of bugs in it. Or, you know, we can we can build these systems and they're really performant. You know, if we suddenly have an influx of users, we don't have to worry about you know is the load balancer going to suddenly is is it going to scale up another EC2 instance or three? I mean, and, and, right. and because they. The economies of scale are so great. Um, you know, when you have a service where, especially where you have a system that receives traffic every now and then, mm-hmm. uh, so if you're not, especially local ones, if you're not global and you only receive local traffic, you're going to be really busy during the day, and at night you're going to be incredibly quiet, but you've still got to maintain a server that's sitting there eating eating your money, consuming resources. That's where another thing where the serverless uh, side of things comes in pretty powerfully is that when there's no work to do, it actually scales down to zero and costs zero which is pretty impressive yep how did you get into serverless it was actually a funny coincidence because when i moved to expat explore and they had sort of an on-call a company called parallax who who also they got into the sort of service thing pretty quickly so when there was a problem with the server and whatever we didn't have an in-house guy that could go in and fix things up before i arrived when i got there i had some knowledge on maintaining sort of you know, web servers and database servers and things. But I'm not, I'm not an expert. I'm not the guy you go to if you want to set up a fleet of these things. I write the backend stuff that sits on them. So when I spoke to when I spoke to this guy, we were, we were we were sort of talking about how we can improve the reliability of this machine, of of these machines, and and the the the, the site itself. He actually mentioned that maybe I should consider looking at a framework called serverless.com dot uh, because one of the guys that he works with at uh, Parallax was actually you know, you started that framework.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So anyway, that's, that's really where it started. And I had, had briefly looked at it before our conversation, but I, I set it aside thinking, no, this wasn't mature enough. This just wasn't at the point where somebody could build production apps with this. But then, you know, when, you know, this guy from Parallax suggested it, I took that as a vote of confidence and ended up taking it quite seriously and pretty much never looked back since then. I mean, even now I've moved from Expert Explore since then and the company I moved to now Has a very traditional web stack, you know, with load balancers, you know, the app server, the Mm -hmm. database uh, servers. And even now we're talking about how we're going to start transitioning a lot of that into a more sort of managed services and serverless type of uh, architecture, just because it makes sense. It's just easier to manage. We don't, again, we don't have a permanent guy on staff. We have a guy that we can call on for 20 hours a month. He's a very talented guy, but I mean, his time's limited. Mm -hmm. And we want to grow. I mean, the site gets tens of millions of sessions a month.
0: So it's not a small enterprise either. Interesting. Is there anything else that you've done that you've really gotten into that uh, people would be interested in to hear about? Well, lately, I've been uh, working on a couple of uh,
1: projects on the side. They're very much, one's a very, very local project. It's a dining service that refunds you. It's basically a subscription service that you pay monthly. Mm-hmm. And they, you get refunded a portion of your meal if you go to a selective restaurant of the group. So, just a way to eat out for a bit cheaper. So, you know, you pay a monthly fee. Every time you eat out, you get, you get some money back. It's mm-hmm. not a big deal, but I've just been building, been building the SaaS solution for for these guys for the last few months. And um, that's about to go live. So, it's called goingout.co.za. You probably won't see much on the website right now if anybody's going out listening, because we're still going through sort of the beta family, friends, you know, test phase with it. But yeah, that's, that's again, the kind of thing that has been sort of, uh, I've been busy with. But for me, it's very difficult to point at something else that someone's going to look at because a lot of my time is taken up with my day jobs. And, you know, working as a, as a senior developer at uh, Brinway Sale, uh, mm-hmm. where I am now, so they keep you kind of busy. <laughs> Not to mention that I, actually, I currently have a three-year-old, a three-year-old little girl, and my <laughs> wife's
0: pregnant expecting our second, so my, my time's going to get even shorter. Nice. Yeah. I have a two-year-old that'll be three in a couple weeks, so... Mm. Yeah, I know how the three-year-old girl goes. My kids are all older than her, though, so. Okay. It's, it's fun. I mean, you spend uh, spent one day this weekend just walking
1: from one playground to the next because they happen to be portals on, I don't know what's the game's name. But yeah, it's, it's the same basic uh, premise as Pokemon Going You walk from one sort of feature to the next. You know, it's basically a Google Map point of interest, uh, capturing portals. It's actually the first game that they made. Ingress. That's what it's called. Oh, okay. Yeah, going with my daughter from playground to playground because each playground happens to be an English portal.
0: <laughs> nice. And,
1: and to, until we find the perfect playground for her because it happens to have a slide, so we're not leaving. <laughs> so no more Come on, sweetie, let's go to the next playground. No date. This one has a slide. <laughs> so that was that, yeah. There you go. Nice. Yeah. Now I'm just waiting for my boy to arrive, so that's going to keep me incredibly busy. Yep, I mm. definitely identify with that. Now, it's one of those really interesting timings because my wife and I decided if we were going to have a second, now was the time. Mm-hmm. But we struggled to, my wife struggled to conceive with, the first, with our first child. So when we decided, I was expecting uh, six to eight months before, you know, conception happens. So we, my wife and I planned uh, in February to go visit my parents across country uh-huh. uh, in, in December. And then my wife happened to fall pregnant around March. So yeah, baby's due in December, so that's ruined those plans. <laughs> We're to postpone those. Yeah, but I brought have a little boy coming. It's fine. I can
0: I can postpone uh, holiday plans. That's not a problem. Uh, yeah, that's always fun. It's always interesting how that works out too. Um, I know a number of people that had trouble conceiving their first, and then after that, it seems like the plumbing all figured out how it was supposed to work. And yeah, they they yeah,
1: have more kids. Yeah, the funny thing is, uh, even the the, the doctor because my wife had gotten a, a bit depressed the first time because it took so long, uh, and then we go to the doctor this time and she gives us the fertility meds, and says to my wife, you know, if things are being difficult, you know, feel free to talk to me. We can sort things out, and you know, don't get despondent if things take a while. And then, you know, a month later, we're coming in for the first meeting because you know,
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no problems there. Yeah, we He's didn't crazy. have any
0: trouble conceiving until our our youngest. And that's why she's four years younger than our next youngest. Instead of the others are all okay. basically two years apart. Okay. Yeah. Thankfully, my daughter and my son
1: will now be around about all well, three years apart because she's three now. Yeah. That is the unfortunate thing, though, the biological clock that ticks for women. So you kind of have a that that time frame that we reach the end that you can't really go past. But you know, it's quite funny with my we we originally to visit my my family cross country. We were planning on a nice road trip. So. When we postponed, we decided we'll postpone the road trip. And my wife, of came to me and said, we might want to switch from a road trip to flights because <laughs> it's going to be a bit rough <laughs> with, a, with a three-year-old and a newborn and a woman who's just given birth to yeah. go driving for three days across country. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> makes sense to me. Mm. Yeah, I didn't think about it at
0: first, but then eventually, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, sure does. All right. Well, let's go ahead. And is there anything else you're working on now that you want to talk about? Not really. No. Good deal. Well, yeah, let's go ahead and do some picks then. Do you have some things you want to shout out about?
2: Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere and it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section.
1: Um, well, I might as well get the the first one easily out the way. There's a, a, a briefly mentioned in the show, but uh, I want to reiterate it. If you know, if the idea of looking at the sort of serverless managed services side of things sounds interesting to anybody, they should really uh, go take a look at the serverless framework. It's serverless.com. It's great because it helps take what looks like a really tricky, difficult thing. You know, because if you look at what Lambda does, it's a little piece of code that you just go and upload into AWS somewhere. The serverless framework helps make that just ties all the pieces together quite nicely. So it's not, you don't have to worry about uploading this little piece and going configuring this little piece and then tweaking that little piece. It all bundles it up nicely and makes it much easier to work with. So it's really cool that way. Yeah, so just serverless.com. And yeah, I was going to pick the other thing that I've also mentioned, game Ingress. Um, it's one of those games that uh, came out a while back. Meantic's original foray into the artificial reality style thing like Pokemon Go what's cool about this i mean i've never i've been the, the biggest pokemon go fan so it never really grabbed me and i've never and i've never had the opportunity to kind of play ingress so this is quite cool that it's come about now and it just makes for a great way as well i mean all of these games uh, make for a great way to go out and get some exercise without having to go to a gym or find some contrived reason to go for a jog or a walk which i've never never enjoyed uh, so to be playing a game but going for a nice long walk around the neighborhood it's it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool
0: and a lot of fun yeah, my kids have enjoyed playing Pokemon Go as well. You know, going out, and, oh, I caught one, you know, and I've got a million of those, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's a ton of fun. I've gotten into a couple of podcasts lately that I'm going to pick. The first one is, and I think I picked this on the last, my JavaScript story I did. So if it's a repeat, I'm sorry, folks. It's called the MF CEO Project. MF stands for mother effing CEO. It's by a guy named Andy Frizella. And yeah, he, he has kind of a, he, he uses some unsavory language, we'll put it that way. Anyway, so if that bothers you, then don't listen. If it doesn't bother you that he drops F bombs and calls people unkind names, then <laughs> go for it. But he's been a, the CEO of Health Supplements Company for a while and uh, just talks about running a business and building a business. And I really, really enjoyed that. The other show that I've been listening to a whole bunch is the Gary V Audio Experience, and that's uh, with Gary Vaynerchuk. And again, that's like social media marketing kind of thing. And I'm really digging that too. I just started with the first episode, which was in like 2014. So I have like 900 episodes of his show on my phone that I haven't listened to yet. And he just answers questions so far anyway. If, if that changes, we'll see. But I've really been enjoying that. I've been a fan of his for a while. His books are awesome. So I'm going to go ahead and pick that as well. Gareth, if people want to find you online, where do they go? Well, if people want to find a relatively quiet Twitter account to follow, they can follow mine.
1: Uh, It's just uh, at Gareth MCC. Right. Uh, But yeah, just Gareth MCC
0: on Twitter. That's probably the best, uh, easiest way to find me. Sounds good. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming, Gareth. Sure. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. Well, yeah. We'll go ahead and wrap this up, and we'll catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly the world's fastest CDN.